Well, if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 48th chapter of the book of Isaiah as we continue our study through the Word. Now, you will remember last time how the prophet Isaiah was ministering on behalf of God to the issue of idols and how idols are are, are man-made, that there is no reality behind uh, idols. And, and you'll remember how he was talking about how a man will cut down a tree and he'll take some of the tree and, and he will cook with it. He'll take other parts of the, uh, of the tree and, and he'll burn it for firewood to bring warmth. And then with the leftover pieces, he'll carve it into idols and be, becomes their God. And these man-made carved images, these, these idols. And, and so over and over we see God God is declaring that he is the true and the living God and there is no other God besides uh, him. And so we saw him talking about the, the uselessness uh, of uh, idols. And, and you remember that the, the nation of Israel had fallen into idolatry. They had picked up the paganism from the culture that was around them. And so they, they were worshiping God and naming themselves as worshipers of God, but they were acting just like the world, just like the, the pagans that were around them. And, and God is reasoning with them. He is also going to chastise them for this. And, and so God had told them that if you will, obey the law, then you will stay in the land and, and it will flow with milk and honey. But if it, you do not obey the law, then you will be cast out of the land. And so the judgment is coming and, and Isaiah has been telling them that they are going to go into captivity. Remember that the Assyrians had been the threat and God said that you're not gonna go into captivity by the Assyrians, but through Isaiah, he tells them that the Babylonians are gonna take you into captivity. And then you'll remember that he says, but I will send my servant Cyrus who is going to come and deliver you out of the, the Babylonian captivity. So this incredibly prophetic truth that is set forth in the word of God. Now, we see that last time he also declared that Babylon, who is going to be the instrument of chastisement, God's going to chastise his people, and he's going to use the nation of Babylon to do that. But God also said, uh, that I will bless those that bless my people and I will curse those that curse my people. And so Babylon, though they are used as an instrument uh, of judgment, we see that as they raise their hand, their cruelty against the, the Jews, we see that God then is going to judge uh, Babylon. We saw last time how it talked about, weep you princesses of Babylon for you will become slaves. And, and so the future judgment judgment upon Babylon there was laid out for us in that last chapter. As we come to this 48th chapter, we are going to once again see that, that God is going to show grace upon the nation of Israel. And the reason that God is going to show grace isn't because they deserved it or merited it 
or earned it. It's because God said that the nation of Israel is through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to come. And so, as they were disobedient, they were chastised, but they weren't destroyed. They weren't cast off. Why? Because God's plan of redemption was going to be fulfilled. And so we see the grace of God is going to be upon the nation of Israel, even though they were idolatrous and had turned away from God and that they were not obedient. All that that shows us is that they are sinners. Uh, it's not as if the nation of Israel was superior to others, that they were more moral by their nature or that they were a better class of people. We see that God chose them to be his and now as they are his, they became his instrument through which the savior of the world is going to come to the Jew first and then to the entire world and to the Gentiles. And so we see that the nation of Israel isn't that they were better than any other nations and that's why the Messiah got to come through them. It's because God had declared it and so it will come to pass. But we see that the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are going to see here in these upcoming chapters God's plan of redemption and the promise of the Messiah. So Isaiah chapter 48, beginning in verse 1. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts uh, is his name. Here we see that that the Lord is talking about his people, but he calls them after the house of Jacob. But you'll remember who Jacob was. Remember how Jacob was the deceiver. He was the cheater, the heel catcher. And, and it says, and have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah. You'll remember that Judah himself was the one that had the idea to sell Joseph for profit with his brothers there when he was traded to Egypt. And, and you'll remember also that he was known for immorality. And so you come from your father. Judah is hardly a compliment here in this context. He says that the nation... They call themselves after the holy city. They, they take the name of God, calling themselves to be God's people. They identify with Jerusalem, the holy city, and they give the appearance that they are trusting in the Lord. But we see here that there was no reality behind the, the, the words that were coming out of their mouths. As Christians, as believers, it's important for us to, to not make sure that we are just Christians in word only, but that our deeds, our actions line up with the words that are coming out of our mouths. We want to make sure that the fruit of the Spirit is 
is being produced in our life and that we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We don't want to just name ourselves as Christians, but then have there be no reality behind that name. We want to live up to that name. Here we see that the Israelites were called God's people, but they weren't living up to that. They were completely compromised in, in immorality and idolatry. He says in verse 3, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I knew that you were obstinate and your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. The Lord says I've declared the former things from the beginning. That's predictive prophecy when God will lay forth the things that are going to take place. We see that everything that he has promised he has done and the nation of Israel they witnessed, they experienced miracle after miracle and they should have known by now that he is the true and the living God and there is no other beside him. But God says that I know the fickleness of man's heart. He says, because I knew that you were obstinate, knowing Israel's love of idolatry. And, and so we see here that he gives them irrefutable evidence that he is the true and the living God to draw them out of idolatry and, and back to him. We see in verse 5 that it says that even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say my idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. Here we see that God is declaring the things that he would do in advance so that when they come to pass, when they are delivered out of Babylon, that they won't say, oh, it was my little carved idols that that now caused us to be delivered uh, out of the Babylonians and, and that we were able now to return back as they bowed down in their idolatry. They wouldn't be able to claim it because God is the one who said that I will deliver you out of the Babylonians. Now, remember that Babylon wasn't even a power at the time that the Assyrians were the threat of the time. And God had said that it wasn't the Assyrians, but that later it would be the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians would be judged by the Persians and by Cyrus. And so here this predictive prophecy, and God says, you know why I put that in there? Because you're stiff-necked, because uh, you resist uh, the, the truth. You're, you are compromising yourself with, with believing in these idols. But these idols can't speak. They can't help you. There is no truth behind them. Which brings you back to the point. What is the basis of truth that you are governing your life by? What are you governing your life by? And here God says, I will show you that my word is trustworthy. I knew that you were obstinate. I knew that you were stubborn. I know that you were slow to believe. And, and so I have gone above and beyond to declare to you that I am who I say that I am and to show you that there is no other God beside me. We live in confusing times. We live in the information overload uh, age and and the voices all clamoring together and, and now with the internet and 24-hour news and, and information comes at us and 
in more different ways with social media that, than we've ever even before imagined. And with this onslaught of voices all clamoring, where's the voice of truth? How do you navigate the, the sea of opinions that are out there and how do you know what you believe is isn't opinion but it's actual truth god says i i know that you have a hard time no, knowing the truth so i have made it abundantly clear the word of god is abundantly clear that it is the revelation of truth from god and and as you study the word of god uh, as you learn what god says as you see the the truth and the track record of God, you will be set free from, from the noise and the chatter, the opinion of the world that is around you. In verse 6, you have heard, see all this and you will, and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new, new things from this time, even hidden things, and you did not know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day, you have not heard them, lest you should say, of course, I knew them. It's as if the Lord is amazed that his people have seen all of his great power and glory. And yet still they stand in rebellion against him and they're not declaring God's glory to the rest of the world. Remember that the purpose of the nation of Israel was that they would be God's people and that they would then glorify God and reveal the true and the living God, become his witnesses to the rest of the world. But instead of them giving testimony and witnessing to the rest of the world, they were adding the, the pagan idolatry of the rest of the world into their relationship with the true and the living God. And surely you did not hear, verse 8, surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not open, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. Here we come to the reality of our sin nature. That we sin because we are sinners. It isn't our sin that causes us to be sinners. You remember that Adam and Eve were made, and they were made without sin. But when sin entered into them, then we see the judgment upon them entered in as well. And so we inherited now the nature of our parents through Adam and Eve, through them, sin came into the world and now it has been passed on. You were born a sinner. Why? Because you inherited the nature of Adam. And so he says, from your womb, I know that you are a sinner. He says in verse 9, for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. You see, the nation of Israel, God promised that the Messiah was going to come through the nation of Israel. And so the Savior of the world. So the nation of Israel needed to remain intact. If, if their disobedience caused God to cut them off, then the plan of salvation would be undermined. And so here he says that even though you have entered into idolatry, you have broken the commandments and you deserve judgment, he says, now I will defer my anger. 
He says, and for my praise, that the praise of the grace of God may go throughout the entire world. He says, uh, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. But behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. And so these are God's chosen people. God wasn't going to choose another nation. He would just refine the nation that he had chosen. In verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob, in Israel my called. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. In verse 12 here, you see God pleading with the nation. He says, listen, listen to me, O Jacob. Listen, would you just stop? Just stop and just listen. Can you hear my voice? Can you understand how far you have slidden away? And, and we see that God desires this communion and this fellowship. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. But, but look at your conduct. Look at your hearts. Look, look at what's happening. And, and you see and hear and feel the, the heart of God. I am he i am the first and i am the last i'm the alpha i'm the omega i'm the only one i love you and yet you have spurned me you have turned aside from me and you have run after what after idols and we see that that he declares now that 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 he is the almighty he is the one that is the creator god of the universe i stretched out the foundations of the earth and and why is it that the the nation would chase after these carved images when they had relationship with the with the almighty god himself he says, I stretched out the foundations of the earth and with the waters when I call to them, they stand up all together. This being a, a reference now when he brings the, the nation, forms them out of Egypt and brings them through the Red Sea and, and how the waters parted and they stood up. Who can stand water up, God? Nobody else can stand water up, make a, a channel. <laughs> through the sea itself and make the waters to stand up. And all of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among you has declared these things? The Lord loves them and he shall do his pleasure on Babylon. And his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him and his way will prosper. And again, he, he calls them all together. All of you, assemble yourselves. And, and listen, God is challenging them to inquire of their false deities. He says that, that I have called him and that I have spoken. This now is a reference to Cyrus, that, 
Cyrus was the instrument that God was going to use, the man that was going to send his people out of Babylon and, and have them come back into their land. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. We see in verse 16 that now, where it was the voice of the Father, it was Father God, now we see it's the voice of the Son. Now we see it is the voice of Jesus. When, when he says, come near to me and hear this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, I was there. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. And so the Messiah in speaking, only he is the one that was from the beginning. And, and the Messiah is now pleading with his people. The Father and the Spirit will send the Lord. And so the, the first coming and the second coming of the Lord, we see that there will be a, a final regathering of Israel and, and there will be the establishment of his kingdom. And thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and who leads you by the way that you should go. And thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, it says the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God. And look at what God says. He says, who teaches you to profit and who leads you. Who teaches you and who leads you. God not only instructs us through his word, but as a believer, now you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that indwelling of the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into righteousness. And so we have the, the truth of God's word that is now renewing of our minds through the washing of the word, replacing the pollution of the way the world thinks with the truth of, of God's word. And then the practical application of living out God's word, those are the decisions that we make on a daily basis, the, the intersections that we come to. And, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to, to navigate us, to help us, to, to tell us whether to go to the left or to go to the right. The intimacy that God now has with a, a child of God in the new covenant that we experience, the, the comfort that we receive through the Holy Spirit in that ministry of, uh, of leading us in our life. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, and then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. And his name would not have been cut off nor destroyed uh, from before me. Oh, that you would have heeded my commandments. We see that God's blessings uh, fall upon and rest upon those who obey to be in the will of God. When your life is in the will of God, you're going to experience the, the peace of God. 
And, and here we see how God laments uh, now. He laments the fact that the children of Israel didn't follow after his ways. He, he says, your descendants uh, would have been like the sand. God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be as the sand of the sea. But that's not what's spoken of here. They're going to be reduced to a remnant. They are going to be destroyed by the Babylonians and, and those that weren't destroyed are going to be taken as a remnant into Babylon. And, and all of that is a consequence for their disobedience. Oh, that, that you would have heeded my commandments. But even though they are going to be chastised and they are going to be brought to, to Babylon, we see in verse 20 that now the, the issue is going to be decreed. Go forth from Babylon and flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Here we see that when the nation does enter back into their land when God shows his hand mighty and when the nation of Israel is delivered out of the hand of the Babylonians the Chaldeans here we see that that they are going to praise God and they're not going to give credit to idols or to anybody else they will not say that it was their wisdom, their stealth, their plan. It wasn't that they, they earned their way out of Babylon through their servitude. It was that God delivered them. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And so that would be the testimony of God. The, he is the redeemer. And it's a testimony that the nation of Israel would declare of him. And it is the testimony for all Christians that the Lord is the one that has redeemed us. He is the one that has set us free. That, that just like the Israelites, the, that they were in bondage in Babylon. Babylon is representative of the world. But, but now God comes and sets them free. And God has set each and every one of us free as well. We see that no longer are we subject to sin, but we have power and authority to not sin. We have the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to, to overcome sin. But why is that? Because we have been set free. We have been let out of the prison that had once held us in captive, but we didn't do it on our own. It wasn't that we reformed our lives and we picked ourselves up by the bootstraps now and, and we became Christians. No, it was the grace of God that redeemed us. It was his righteous right hand that saved you from your sin and saved me out of my sin. And so we all proclaim that it is the Lord that has redeemed us. It says in verse 21, And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. 
And he also split the rock and waters gushed uh, out. Isaiah here pointed to the way now that God had miraculously provided for Moses' generation after he had delivered them from Egypt and how God supernaturally furnished them water to, to drink in the desert. And they did not thirst. They didn't thirst. Even though they were in an extreme desert, they didn't thirst in the desert. And it's talking about the provision of God. You remember that there was the Samaritan woman at the well and and Jesus and told her that if you drink of the water that that I could give, that you would never thirst. But if you drink from this well, you will thirst again. And and so here is the picture now that that when we are connected to Christ, that 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 thirst, that longing, that emptiness in our soul, we we see that that is filled now to overflowing. I I have purpose. I have hope. I have a, a future. I I have this living water gushing up as a spring inside of me and. And here we see that as God takes his people and delivers them, it says that they will not thirst. You will not thirst. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, as as your Savior, you are going to have that spring of water bubbling up and overflowing in your life. He contrasts that in verse 22 with the wicked. He says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Fear, doubt, turmoil, dread. That's what follows the wicked. Peace, joy, contentment, satisfaction. That all comes from the Lord. And so, child of God, filled to overflowing, blessed, washed, cleansed, in peace, the peace of Christ that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds, our emotions and our thoughts. As we come to this 49th chapter here, we see that the servant, the Messiah, is going to come forth from the nation of Israel. And, and we see that he is going to be commissioned, though, to also be a light to the Gentiles. And, and so, great chapter 49 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me. And take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And so, here, listen, O coastlands and peoples uh, far away, here we see that, that the whole world, including the Gentiles, uh, now are, are being called to recognize these, these characteristics or these facts about the Messiah. Number one, that the Messiah is going to be born. 
He is going to be born of a woman that that God is going to send the Messiah and he is going to be fully man and fully God. So he is going to be born from the womb. And (coughs) secondly, he's going to be an individual that the Savior is not going to be this group or a personified group such as the, the nation of Israel. But instead, it is going to be an individual. Jesus was the the seed of the woman. You'll remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so we see the... The Messiah is going to be born into the world uh, of a woman. But notice the reference of the virgin birth, the seed of the woman. Now, a woman doesn't have a seed. The man has the seed. But here, the allusion to the virgin birth. And, And it says that the Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. Now, you remember that that the angel told Mary that the baby that was to be born was to be named Jesus, which means a Savior, for he will save mankind from their sins. In verse 2, And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hidden me. And so... Jesus uh, here is the word of God. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword, like a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, sharper than a razor blade, able to divide now between bone and, and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the hearts of men. It says that in the shadow of his hand he has hidden me, the Messiah. When would the Messiah come? The the people did not know. Before his appearing, it was hidden with God who was ready to draw him out at the precise moment until the fullness of the time came and he was revealed then to mankind. And the word was made flesh and dwelt uh, among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. The nation of Israel is God's servant, is the instrument of salvation. It was through the nation of Israel that the Messiah was going to come. And then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. And yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. I have labored in vain. Though Jesus was rejected by men, we see that that the servant expresses his strong assurance that he is doing God's work and, and that he will be rewarded with complete success. Though the 
disciples would disband, though he was betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter, though he came unto his own and his own refused to, to receive him. We see that it didn't thwart the, the purpose that Christ came. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins uh, of the world. And, and so here we see that the gift, uh, the salvation that we have in the shed blood of Jesus Christ was accomplished when sin and death were judged uh, there upon the cross. And now the Lord says, verse 5, who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Here we see that, that the Messiah wasn't going to just simply regather and restore the nation of Israel. We see that he is far greater than just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. And we see here that it and says that I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that <coughs> you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. We see that in the book of Revelation, it talks about after the rapture of the church takes place, that, that there is then going to, to be the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are going to go and to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to Him whom man despises, to Him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful the Holy One of Israel and he has chosen you to him who man despises once again speaks of the humiliation of our Lord in his first coming this is a theme that we see is repeated throughout the book of Isaiah and and so Kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship. In the end, the Messiah is not going to be despised and rejected. He will receive the worship and the honor that he deserves because he is the chosen redeemer of the world. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God said that he was going to redeem the earth. And so Jesus Christ is the redeemer that the Father had promised to the glory of God. 
the great things that he has done. He promised a redeemer and a redeemer came. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate inheritages that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. And to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. From the foundation of the earth, God had chosen a time for the salvation of man to be furnished through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And God made a covenant with Abraham that all the people on the earth would be blessed and the covenant now is fulfilled in Jesus. In Galatians in chapter 3, verse 29, it says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs uh, according to the promise. And so, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. And we see the freedom that we have in Christ. We see the power of our Lord. Jesus set the demon possessed free from the bondage of chains and demonic torture. We see that Jesus sets free those that are sick and those that are infirmed. We see that Jesus now set those in bondage to sin in the law free. John's Gospel, chapter 36, Jesus said, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. These prisoners are prisoners of sin. They were living in darkness until the light of Jesus Christ shone upon them and, and resulted in bringing hope to them. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate and heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them even by the springs of water, and he will guide them. And so notice once again that it says that they shall neither hunger nor thirst. We see the way in which the Lord takes good care of us. Not only does he set us free from sin and death, from the bondages that we once lived in, but then he shepherds us all the rest of our lives. He leads us into paths of righteousness and he shows the divine care to all believers. And, and notice how this parallels to the 23rd Psalm. When it talks about he shall feed along the roads, they're not going to hunger or thirst. And, and he in his mercy is going to lead them by the springs of water. He will guide them. And, and compare that now to when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And Jay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So not only does Jesus set us free, he, he jailbreaks us, but, but then we're not just set free to, to wander. He shepherds us, he leads us, he guides us, he takes in care. And we will not hunger and we will not thirst. He says in verse 11, I will make each of my mountains a road and my highways shall be elevated and surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west and these from the land of Sinem. The mountains now, barring the way of the returning exiles, he says, I will make them to pass in the same way that he split the Red Sea so that they could pass through it. He is saying that I will be with them in their journey, even though there are mountains. He will lower the mountains for them to be able to get through. He will give the provision and the ability to be able to, to pass through. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. And sing, O heavens, for the Lord has comforted his people. And, and so we see here that, that the Lord calls even for creation itself, the, the heavens, the earth, the peoples, to raise their voices in praise for all that Jesus Christ has done. Have you lifted your voice? Have you thanked uh, the Lord for the great things that, that he has done recently to acknowledge his goodness and his grace in, in your life? It's easy as we go through difficulties and hardships to forget to be praising God for, for his abundant mercies and grace. I know it's been difficult now to remain confined in as we are waiting now for the governor to, to start to release the, the protections that have put into place. And, and so we can be chafing at now, hungering and longing for fellowship and for community to be restored. But in the midst of, of all of the discomfort, are you able to keep praising God for the good things that, that he has done? Oh, how important that is to keep lifting our eyes up, to keep on praising God for the good things that, that we do have. And not to look at the difficulties and the hardships that we are enduring, not to get focused and caught up on this. Why? Because this is passing away. Our lives are just a vapor. And so we are to continue to keep our eyes on the eternal and the eternal one to whom all praise and honor and glory is due. 
But Zion said, verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. In the midst of this great praise for Christ, for the Messiah and his saving work, we see that Zion, representative of the, the nation of Israel now, and the place of God's people by association, that, that, that Israel is going to feel like God has forsaken them. As they would be destroyed, the temple and trampled, and the people taken into captivity, and as they mourned and sang their laments by the waters of the rivers and Babylon. Here they will feel that God has forgotten about us. God has forsaken us. And before he ever even takes them into captivity, he is ministering to them. It is not permanent. I have not cast you off. This is just a chastisement. This is just a consequence of your embracing other gods, falling into idolatry and departing from me. It's not I that has forsaken you, but it is you that has forsaken me. But when the chastisement is upon you, you can feel like you are forsaken. But, but here again, we see that the Lord is going to minister truth. Feelings are real. They're what we're feeling, but... They're not necessarily true. and It takes reflection and assessment to be able to, to acknowledge and to know, to test every single thing against the, the word of God. And while they might feel while they are in Babylon that they are forsaken, they had the word of God telling them that they weren't forsaken, that Cyrus was going to come. A man named Cyrus was going to come and, and he was going to set them free and and so here the Lord is going to minister to their feelings of being forsaken. And look at how tender God is. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Here we see that, that God says, I could no more forget about you than a mother can forget about her child. I have not forsaken you. I have not cast you off. Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Even a, a mother, though it would be almost impossible, it's possible that she could forget. But he says, I will never forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms uh, of my hands, the nail-scarred hands of Christ. See how much I love you? I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make a haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. It's not just that they were delivered out of Babylon. They saw Babylon destroyed. They saw those that destroyed them destroyed. They weren't just set free. They were set free after they saw Babylon destroyed by the Medo-Persians. Lift up your eyes, look around and see all these gather together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. 
for your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, this place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. They are going to suffer the destruction of so many of their, their people. But as they go to Babylon and as they are there for the 70 years, they are going to once again multiply and God is going to bless them with children. But then they're going to start to be compressed <laughs> there in Babylon and they're going to they're long now to, to be delivered. This place is too small for me. Give me a, a place where I may dwell. And then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these uh, for me? Since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and <coughs> wandering to and fro. And who has brought these up? And there I was left alone. But these, where were they? And thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. And they shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. Here we see the humiliation of the Babylonians by the Medo-Persians. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. And then you will know that I am the Lord. For they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. They shall not be ashamed. If you trust in the Lord, you will not be ashamed. In the end, regardless of what happens on this earth, you will hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom, into the joy of the Lord. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous be delivered? A lion, when he has his prey, is anybody going to come and take the prey away from a lion? No. No one is going to take God's people away from the protective hand of God. But thus, says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered, for I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children and I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine and all flesh shall know that I the Lord am your Savior and your Redeemer the mighty one of Jacob how awesome a promise. God says, I will take an oath to the nations that I will save you with the power of my right hand. And everybody shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob. He is able. He is able to deliver us from every affliction 
from every trial, from every tribulation that we go through, know that he is able, that you are loved. He says, I will contend with those who contend with you. You're a child of God. And when, and when someone messes with the child of God, God is going to take that very seriously. When they contend with you, God says, they're going to have to contend with me. What a great promise to rest in and to find peace in our soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And God, that you have not abandoned us, Lord. In the coronavirus, you, you have not turned your back. You haven't looked the other way. You are completely aware of all that is going on. And God, you love us. And we can put our trust in you. And we can experience that peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. Would you help us, Lord? Bless us. Minister to us. Meet us. And draw us through this in trial, Lord. And see us safely to the other side. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.